Our scripture reading this morning is found in Daniel, chapter 3, verses 13 through 25. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. But then, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Benton. I, I love the way you say zither, zither. Did I say it? Zither. I love it. I want to take a moment of personal privilege, uh, not sermon yet is what I'm saying. Um, and, and thank Pastor David as well this morning. I know we did thank him back at the end of October for him serving here. He was able to extend his time with us the past few months. So I want to thank him and for his faithfulness and to this First Free Methodist Church for a, a very long time, in and out. And thanks again to Sarah and Raul for their faithfulness and their faithful journey that they're on. And I know that God will bless them, that God is bigger than all of this. And I also want to thank the 40 volunteers that looked after kids last night. 40 volunteers, that's awesome, guys. I don't know if you realize how awesome that is. And I just wanted to thank our, we had, we had usually if you're a parent and you've got like one-on-one odds or, or one-to-four odds, you know, ratio, but if you have four kids, it's, it's one-to-two, right? We had four, what, was the, what were the odds we were up against last night? We had 40 to... 33, that's great, isn't it? So keep it up. So thank you guys to volunteers so, and those who volunteered. <clears throat> so I want to talk about two dead white guys first. I know that sounds exciting, doesn't it? But 
I want to ask you if you know a couple people from history. And I want the first question I'm going to ask you, I don't expect everyone to know this person. In fact, I don't expect you to know either of these people, but some of you will know the first person. Does anybody, raise your hand if you know or knew who Robert Schuller, Reverend Dr. Robert Schuller was. Raise your hands. Okay. Look around. Just keep your hands up. Look around. Those who have your hands up, notice who does not have their hand up. I just want you to notice. Just notice that, right? Okay. Now, Reverend Dr. Robert Schuller was the founding pastor of the Crystal Cathedral in California. He was the founding pastor of this church, which claimed to be, in 1981, the largest glass structure in the world. It also proclaimed to have, claimed to have the largest organ in the world. This church was founded in 1955. 1955. Do you know when this church was built, this was built, this building? 1956. Thank you, church historian. Yes. <laughs> I expect you to know all the answers right now today, Andrea. Sorry. So, so, so Robert Schuller built this, this, was a founding pastor of this church, started and founded in 1955, and it became a television ministry, television. And, and, I, and I'm, I believe that this ministry impacted people's lives and made a difference in people's lives, brought people to Christ, helped them to follow Christ. So I think that what that ministry did was great, yet I would suggest to you that it was, was built upon the founding of, of one person. So... I will tell you, I, I got to tell you a story though. I broke into the Crystal Cathedral once. I got kicked out of the Crystal Cathedral. Uh, I, I'll tell you the story. So I was there with a group of pastors about uh, 15 or more years ago and we were there at a conference and, and I had missed the, the campus tour because I had gone and done something, you know, and some friends of ours that drove somewhere else in, around there and we were in the neighborhood doing something else and then we came back and we missed the tour of the campus. So we were having lunch. At the end of lunch, we had some extra time before the next session. And so I said to my friend Chris, I said, let's go take our own tour. You know, we're pastors, right? This is what pastors do on vacation, folks. We go look at other churches, right? And, and so, so we go and the first thing I noticed that as we try and get into the sanctuary is there, there are no handles on any of the doors to enter into the sanctuary. I thought, well, maybe that's scriptural. You know, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, and if you let me in, you know, the, the picture where there's no handle on the door, right? I'm thinking, well, that's theological or something, but I'm still, I can't get in to see the church. So Chris and I just keep going around, because we know, we're pastors, we've been around enough churches to know that probably somebody left the door open. So sure enough, we keep working our way around the building and we found one door that was not closed all the way and we used, both our, we used our fingers and we pried open the door without a door handle and we both walked in and it was dark, dark in there when we walked in and my friend Chris, who's taller than me, runs into a bronze statue of Billy Graham's hand. <laughs> and he ran into Billy Graham, literally. I mean, he ran into Billy Graham and he got hit his head and he, you know, you hear this, the bronze statue is just, you know, doing its thing, reverberating. And all of a sudden we look around and there are these statues of these men in, as you enter into the sanctuary. So as you go into that sanctuary, you see a, a, a statue of Robert Schuller, statue of Billy Graham, Norman Vincent Peale, and a, and a cardinal who I don't remember the name of. And as you enter, and then you go into sanctuary and you're, I'm walking through and 
And I can, you know, I know from TV, I remember watching it on TV, that if you go up into the, uh, the pulpit area, that's where the, the TV would be framed up, you know. And so we're walking up there and I, I'm going up there and some other, some other friends come knocking on the door and we let them in. And so we're up there taking our pictures in the pulpit, you know. I'm t- this is what we do on vacation, folks. This is just what we do, right? So, and as we're up there around the pulpit area, this security guard comes running into the sanctuary. And I can still picture him running in the back of the side, coming in the side, running down the center aisle as we're standing there and going, the church is closed. The church is closed. Get out of the church. And I was like, sir, sir, you know, I'm a pastor. I got credentials, you know, you check, check it out. You know, I'm like, and we're all like, we're pastors. We're with the conference. You know, he was so upset that we were in the church. And so he kicked us out of the church. Literally, I mean, he escorted us out of the church. How prophetic he was. The church is closed. In 2010, they filed for bankruptcy. That ministry no longer exists. No longer going. It lasted from 1955 to 2010. I've known churches that have lasted shorter than that and churches that have lasted longer than that. So that's the first guy I ask you about. Now, how many of you know who Hiram Pease was? Aha, we've got a few. Most of the seminarians and church historian and SPU folks, Hiram Pease was a layperson who founded First Free Methodist Church in 1880. Notice he wasn't a pastor. And in 1891, Hiram Pease stood before the Conference of the Pacific Northwest and said, we need to have a seminary. And he had talked with Niels Peterson, who's Peterson Hall's named after, and talked to Niels Peterson and said to Niels, well, you, do you have any land? <laughs> and Niels Peterson said, I've got five acres, and Hiram Peace put forward $2,500 and stood before the conference and said, I believe that God wants a seminary here in Seattle. This was at the time when the church was actually downtown. First church was downtown. This was second church. But I want you to think about that. Not many of us knew who he was, but he was a layperson who was faithful to the vision that God had given him. And he was willing to make sacrifice. (laughs) He was willing to put himself out there even though he wasn't uh, the pastor or anything else. He was faithful. Pastor Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker, about prayer, which I've inspired this series off off of, he said this in the book. He says, we live in a culture that overvalues 15 minutes of fame and undervalues lifelong faithfulness. You know, we're in this generation where it's all about the show. When God is looking for faithfulness that maybe will never be known by people. Think about that. And here's the question for us to wrestle, that faith question for us to wrestle with this today. Do you trust God's purposes are better than your purposes? 
Do you trust God's purposes with your life? And, and what would God be up to? And we're gonna talk about that because we've got three guys, three men, three Hebrew young men, they were probably 18 to 20 years of age, that were faithful. Even though the possibility existed that we would never know their name because they were willing to put their lives on the line. And had this situation worked out differently, we would have never known, but would they have still been faithful even if we hadn't known their names? We actually know them by their Babylonian names, not by their Hebrew names. These three men were named Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Their names actually had significant meaning. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. The Babylonian king changed his name to Shadrach, which means Aku, the moon god, commands us. Michel, his name, Mishael, his name is who is what God is. Like, who could be as great as God? And the king changed his name to Meshach, which is who is what Aku is, the moon god. Who is what the moon god is? And then Azariah, his name meant Yahweh has helped us. And he changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nabu, which is another Babylonian god. That now you're, yeah, your, your god helped you. Well, now you're a servant of my god. They changed their names. Do you notice that it's about the gods? Do you notice that it's been really what's going on here in this text and in uh, what is happening is actually a worship war. I don't know if you know that. But see, from the King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, he had erected this gold statue. And he erected, it, he erected this gold statue that was 90 feet tall of gold. He probably needed a pretty big furnace to smelt all that gold to make that gold statue, even if it had been gold overlay. 90 feet tall, he was making a spectacle to be worshipped. Now, why might he do that? Well, we didn't have a chance to read chapter 2. But Daniel, another Hebrew young man, had interpreted his dream. And a dream was of a statue that had clay feet, clay and iron feet, that one day would be destroyed. But the head of it was gold, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. And so I think what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do was he was trying to leave a legacy of his own kingdom, right? Of his own presence, of, of his own success. He was saying, and what was the worship war that was going on here was about the gods. His gods, in his mind, had deve defeated the God of the Hebrews. And so he couldn't understand why they wouldn't bow to his idol, because they were victorious. They won. <laughs> He's basically proclaiming and saying that my God, my gods are victorious. My gods are in control. My gods are the ones that have given me this success. We ought to be worshiping my gods. <laughs> to which these three young men stand up and say, no way. You know what they're doing? See, the pagan worship of the time was, was what was happening in pagan worship was that when they did, what they would do is they would create the image, they would create the God, the statue, and then they would worship it. And then they would bow to it. They would create something man-made and they would bow to it. 
The Hebrews had a different way of worshiping God. The Hebrew people waited for God to reveal God's self, and then they worshiped. They looked for what God was doing in the world. They looked for God's activity. They looked for God's revelation. Moses, the burning bush. God's revelation first, and then Moses worshiped. Or think about Abraham, and Abraham, when he met with God, he built an altar there, right? He, he, God revealed, and then Abraham worshiped. It's a different way of worship. And so what's going on is not only a worship, a battle of the gods, but also a battle over how we worship. That's what's going on here. And these men say, we're going to keep worshiping (laughs) our God. So the king heats up the furnace. I want you to imagine, though, that this furnace was probably large, and it probably, it may have been, I can't say probably, may have been built into a hillside, and it would have been a two-story structure with the opening coming up at the top of the hillside, so the men could walk the three guys up to the top of the furnace, and and they would fall into the top of the furnace, kind of like a two-story building, And, and the fire was in the first story, and the smelting part was in the top story, and so they fell down into the fire. But the king, what did the king do? He heated it up. He said, I want that seven times hotter. That number seven means completion. I want it to be as completely hot as possible. He was basically asserting his control over the situation. The king was saying, I'm in control. I'm in charge. We're going to worship the way that I command. And to these three young men say, no way. Now, That's what's going on. They fall into the furnace because the other guys that were taking them to the furnace couldn't handle the heat. And the God, true God of the Hebrews reveals God's self to them in the furnace. Not outside the furnace. (laughs) Not before they got in the furnace. Not after they got out of the furnace. In the furnace. That's where God shows up. But I want you to know, I I just want to point out the faithfulness of these three young Hebrew men. They said this to the king, but even if he does not, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't save our lives, even if our act of faithfulness will not come have a great outcome, even if we suffer and burn in the flames, even if these things happen, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's what they say. They trusted God's purposes for their life no matter what the outcome. No matter whether God, the end of their life was at that moment or in the future, it did not matter to them. They were going to stay faithful to God. And think about all the times that God had already said no to them (laughs) up to this point. Hey, can we stay in Jerusalem and live with our families? No. Hey, can, can we get, do we really have to go into exile? Can, can, we, can we go somewhere else? No. Can we keep our Hebrew names? No. Think about all the times they prayed and God said no. And God said no because I have a divine purpose for your life And they're willing to be faithful to that purpose, even if it means their very own lives. Tremendous faith. So this calls up a couple questions 
for me, maybe for you. And the questions that I begin to wrestle with as I study the Scripture here and as I see what's going on here is the first question I wrestle with is this, do we wait for God's purpose to be revealed or do we take control of the situation? Do we wait for God? Do we wait for God's revelation or do we take control like King Nebuchadnezzar? You see, I find that as, human, as a human being, I like to microwave everything. Do you all like to microwave stuff? I know it's not healthy or whatever, but, but you want to microwave everything, don't you? Like, like when you send a prayer request up to God, don't you want to microwave it? Like, God, can we get a response in five minutes? Or have you ever gotten on the phone thing where you're calling customer service and, you know, you get the number, like, if you need da-da-da-da, press one. If you need to press two, press three, press four. And then you think you've pressed the right number and then you get to another menu and then they say if this number, and then none of the menu items meet your menu, what you need. Has anybody been, am I, can I get a witness here this morning? Right? And here's what I do because I'm a microwaver. Representative, <laughs> representative, do I, did I not enunciate correctly to the computer? What, what's going on? Representative, you know, so right? Sometimes we pray to God and we say, God, representative, I need it now. Answer me now. But yet the scriptures teach us to be persistent in prayer, persevere in prayer. Keep at it in prayer. Don't microwave your prayer life. Stay at it. Be faithful. Even if you can't see God's divine purpose. The other question I wrestle with is, do we trust God's long-term plan over our short-term goals? We have been wired in this life, I think, to get a set a short-term goal, and get rewarded. I, I, let me just check in on that, by the way. How many people have you set a New Year's resolution? How many people, New Year's resolution? Because you, you are proudly saying it. Now, question, are you still doing your New Year's resolution? We're four weeks in. Oh, yeah, I'll get one of these up here. All right, yeah, all right. So it's good. Keep going. It's a year-long process. Amen, sister. All right. But how many people set New Year's resolutions and then for the year, right, and can't even keep the long-term, that one-year goal? Where it's usually gone in three weeks because we're short-termers, <laughs> right? We, we have a hard time sticking to things. We have a hard time seeing the long-range purpose or plan that God may have for our lives. God sees the long range. We're fixed on the short-term success and failure of our life. You know, think about this. Did Nebuchadnezzar think he was succeeding or failing? He thought he was a success. He thought he had everything under control. He thought he was the guy. But we know from history, the long view, he wasn't. Right? You take the longer view and you start to realize, hey, maybe God was up to something else that even Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see or acknowledge because his ego was so wrapped up in his worship. You know, whenever we get the ego wrapped up with the material and worship it, 
That's dangerous territory. Rather than waiting on God and being patient with God because God is patient with us and allowing God to reveal God's purpose to us. God's got the long term in mind. Do you know that God's purposes for your life may just be beyond your lifetime? Think about that. Because we often think of God's purpose being about something in our lifetime. Maybe God's purpose is beyond our lifetime. You know, even though Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, even though they were faithful, and even though God rescued them, think about this, I'm not, I don't know whether or not they ever saw the restoration of Israel, despite their faithfulness. Did Hiram Peace see a SPU as 4,000 students, even though he was faithful? Did Hiram Peace, was he able to see that First Church would still be here in 2018 when he founded it in 1880? But he was faithful. You see how that works? Sometimes our faithfulness outlives us. Mark Patterson in his book tells one other story about Honey, who was uh, the circle maker. He was the one that prayed circles and he, met, he saw a man planting a carob tree. And a carob tree produces fruit every seven, in 70 years. So he, you plant a carob tree, and 70 years later, the fruit emerges. How many people are looking forward to that, right? Hey. And so Honey walked up to him and said, why are you planting a tree that you will never see the fruit from? And the man replied, because my grandfather planted a tree, and my father planted a tree, and I eat the fruit of the trees that they planted, and I want my children and my grandchildren to eat from the tree that I plant. See, he saw that his purpose extended beyond his life. He saw that part of his life was to make sure there was fruitfulness in the future beyond his lifetime. I wonder if Hiram Peace saw things that way. I wonder if Hiram Peace had, had an experience of Jesus Christ that said to him, I want to make sure that my children and my grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren and my great-great-great-great-grandchildren know Jesus and follow Jesus as well, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that the children of the generations to come, even beyond my lifetime, will know and follow Jesus, the fruit of any ministry. Amen. Let's pray.